0: That's a that's a good Bible reading voice. Thank you, David. Um, well, hey, Merry Christmas, everyone! I've been uh, I watched the last couple of sermons that Pastor Brad has given, and uh, um, we indeed are still in the Christmas season. Amen. It's a good thing. Um, we're we're just happy to be here uh, once again, and we're uh, privileged to be able to to bring the word to you this morning. Um, Hey, if you're gathered here in his name, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the calling that you have on our lives. And today that calling is played out by gathering together. And as you promise, whether there are two or more gathered in your name, you are here among us. So Lord, we want to welcome you here and thank you for being here. Lord, we're so grateful to be in your house. So grateful. Lord, we just ask that you would be with us in these next few moments and that whatever your Holy Spirit wants us to hear today, Lord, whether it's something I say or not, would we hear it. Lord, move in this place. We know you will, and we love you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So the last few weeks... um, Your church, and pretty much every other church, has been talking about the real reason for the season. Uh, That's kind of the tagline that we, as Christians, associate to um, the month of December, so to speak. It's remembering the reason for the season, and the series that your church just came out of, if um, I'm remembering this correctly, is The Real Christmas. Is that correct? So Um, And we have been talking about, as a body, as a universal church, the coming of baby Jesus and and what that means to us, the implications of that for our lives and the history of the world. So today, we're entering into a new series called Revealed, Revealed, Revealed. Um, and, uh, And Pastor Brad, he's... He's stepping out on faith. We were talking about this earlier. He's letting someone else preach the first installment of the series. Um, So hopefully I do it justice today. Um, But uh, this morning we are talking about um, how God revealed himself to the earth. And so we have been talking about that the last few weeks. And this morning, the series that we are beginning this morning is how Christ reveals himself to us in a very real way. And he does that through scripture. This last Wednesday, the 6th of January, was a holiday, a Christian holiday, called Epiphany. Um, It's also called Three Kings Day, depending on um, which country you're in or tradition you do come from. But that holiday, that day, that time, is set to signify the revealing or the revelation of Christ in this earth. And so we celebrated that just a few days ago, and, and this morning we will talk about that, and as the next couple of weeks go on, we'll talk more and more about how Christ is revealed to us in a very real way. Um, And and a few things that we learn, um, and that we will learn this morning and continue to learn through the series, is that we not only learn about the King, we not only learn about Jesus and the nature of Him as King, but we also learn about the nature of the Kingdom. ...that is being established and the kingdom that was set into motion um, once Christ came to earth. So last series, just to kind of put pieces together, um, last series talking about the physical presence of Christ on the earth in our lives. Um, And and this series we will be talking about how Christ, once his ministry begins, how he reveals himself to the world... Um, We are, and and I was reminded of this as I was preparing um, this message, we are drowned in common knowledge sometimes. And what I mean by that is that we get overwhelmed with kind of the Sunday school knowledge of Jesus is kind, he is good, he is compassionate. He is all of these things, but sometimes we don't really focus on the stories that really flesh those things out sometimes we don't really focus on the stories and the events of Christ's life that really explain why he is compassionate, why he is loving, and and how he exemplifies those things. Um, This morning's message is the humble reveal. So this morning we're going to be focusing on the humility of Christ's revelation, his humble revealing to us. So if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 3. We're going to be there in a, in a few other books this morning, talking about the baptism of our Savior. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. Um, context is huge um, for us. As we study the word and, and really in all areas of life, um, you know, often we hear, "Well, well, that was just taken out of context. But we never focus on what the context is. We, we always just end up saying, oh, that's out of context, and you're wrong, because it's out of context. So you shouldn't have done that, and we're going to move on. But we don't actually sit down and, and realize what the context ex- actually is. So I'm a big context guy. I hope that's okay. Um, this, this next couple of uh, parts and throughout the message, um, I might be explaining things that are common knowledge to you through your study, and I'm glad. I'm glad those are are engraved as truth in you. Um, but I was learning things about this text as I was preparing for this message, and so I think it's important for us to focus on some of those things, and and those things will come to light um, as we continue. But we enter into this passage with John the Baptist, kind of being the uh, the main character for the first couple of chapters of Luke. Um, obviously, the newborn Christ. Um, but John the Baptist is. The person who is administering the gospel. Um, we learn in John uh, chapter 1, verse 23, that John the Baptist was the chosen messenger to uh, present the gospel and to prepare the way for the coming Christ. Um, so, just to put this passage into context for you, John the Baptist himself has yet to meet Jesus. No one has um, met Jesus as Messiah. If if that were to make any sense, he has yet to be publicly revealed as the Savior. And so John the Baptist, the person who is preparing the way for him, has even yet to meet him. Um, And during his time, during John the Baptist's time of preaching, he never stops pointing. He never stops preparing the way. He never stops pointing to the coming Christ. Um, And so Let's go to uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 15, and and we're going to kind of march through this passage. This is what it says. It says, The people were waiting expectantly, and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. And so from this passage, we really do learn that the people were kind of getting anxious. Has anyone ever been anxious before? Um, Has anyone ever known that something was coming, but you didn't know when it would get there? And so you were anxious about it and you were maybe trying to find what was coming in other areas Um, and and I don't know what that's looked like for you. Maybe it's been a job. Maybe you um, were um, looking for a job, trying to find a job and you know that God was going to present you with a job and so you have an interview here and an interview there and it goes really well and you know that the job is the end result. You just don't know when it's going to get there. That's kind of the same principle of the people in this area who were um, interacting with John the Baptist. People were waiting for their Messiah. There was expectation, but they were. it's kind of like they were on the edge of their seats. So that, that's kind of where we are in this passage. People were on the edge of their seats, expectantly waiting. And so there are three points that I would like to present that helps us understand this story. And three points that I... Um, things that really spoke to me as I was preparing for this message. And the first one is that John's, uh, John the Baptist, John's humility promotes Christ's power. And we see this first in verse 16, uh, the first half of verse 16. It says, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water. But one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And so, John the Baptist, he uses the word powerful. And, and he could have used so many other words to describe the person who was to come. Uh, we talked about just a minute ago, John the Baptist was the person who was preparing the way for the Lord. And he could have used so many other terms to describe who this Messiah would be. He could have said, he is uh, better, more better looking than I. He is, he's way better teacher, way better speaker. He's a a way better person. He's way more interesting than I. He could have used so many words. He could have used so many kind of glorious terms that would really talk him up. But he uses a word that's actually quite serious. And it's actually quite meaningful, and he uses the word powerful. Now, we don't really know how powerful people thought John the Baptist was. Um, He was doing this thing called baptizing. He was doing this thing that he was telling people that everyone needed to do. But we never really learn um, of any necessarily any miracles that he was a part of, that that he witnessed or that he performed. Um, We never really learn kind of in the way that we think of things in terms of power. We never really learn how powerful people thought John the Baptist was. But to some degree, they must have thought he was powerful because he says... One more powerful than me is going to come. And then he says this phrase. He says, the person who will come, I am not worthy of untying his sandals. Now, that's kind of always been a passage that's confused me. Um, But as I kind of dug deeper into what that verse actually means, and this is context for us. um, In this day and age, removing a master's sandals was given to the lowest slave in the household, the lowest-ranking slave in the household. So the task of removing the shoes or the sandals of the master was assigned to the lowest-ranking slave. So not only a slave, but the lowest-ranking one. And so that statement would have shocked people when it was said. Because we have John the Baptist who, to some degree, is being seen as this powerful figure. This powerful person who is bringing the word of God and who is presenting and preparing the way for this king who is coming. But right now, as anxious people that we are, we only have John the Baptist. And and we keep trying to figure out, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? And he says, no, someone even more powerful than I is coming and I am not even worthy to take off his sandals. And so when people were to hear that, who knows what they would feel, but what I would feel is, whoa, this John the Baptist guy, this person that we have been following around forever and trying to figure out if he is the Messiah, not only is he not the Messiah, but he is not even worthy to take off the shoes of the Messiah. It's pretty intense. And so that's what's going on here. So this first point is that John's humility promotes Christ's power. He uses the word powerful to describe him, and he explains that he is not even worthy of taking off his shoes. The second point is that John's spirit-led description reveals the real Jesus. And so this is when we really kind of get into the heart of this series, looking at the real Christ and how, his, how he is revealed to us. So we go to the second half of verse 16 and also 17, and it says this, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is His hand to clear His threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So two things are revealed in just a few short sentences, and the first thing is the nature of the king. And we get this in verse the second half of verse 16. In, in this verse, we get a glimpse of the nature of the coming king. And there's kind of really two things that fall under this. The first one is that he is coming to gather. The phrase baptize with the Holy Spirit essentially means that Christ is coming to provide his spirit to draw others closer to God. So when it says he will baptize you with the Spirit, it means that the Holy Spirit is going to fall over you. And the true purpose of that Spirit is to improve the world's connection as individuals with their Creator. And so the first thing we learn about the nature of the King who will baptize with the Spirit is that he is coming to gather people and bring others close, closer to God. And it's interesting... John and Jesus both baptize in this story. Um, and so in my notes I have John versus Jesus, kind of this title bout. Even though they're on the same team, they're both doing the same thing. Um, and, and this is what I have written here, and, and maybe, maybe this will speak to you. But I have written here, it says, John could only baptize with water, but only Jesus could baptize with the Spirit. So we're talking about baptism, and we're talking about two separate elements of baptism. We have water, and we have the Holy Spirit. And throughout his ministry, John the Baptist could only baptize with water. That's all he had. That's all he had to kind of symbolize what was taking place during baptism. But only Jesus could baptize with the Spirit. That's why there is such a need for a king. And the second thing that we learn about when we're talking about the nature of the king is that he's coming to judge. And this is when it gets really real. Talking about being revealed in a real way. He's coming to judge. When we read the phrase, baptized with fire, the fire symbolizes purging and judgment. So he is coming to gather people, but he is also coming to judge. He's, He's coming to teach, and he is coming to... Um, do what he needs to do in order to establish the kingdom. And that's the second thing that we learn in this passage. Um, We learn about the nature of the kingdom. We find this in verse 17. It says, His winnowing fork, um, as his hand, will gather wheat and separate chaff. And and if you um, were to read three parables about the kingdom of God and what it is like, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like. Um, If you were to read three of them, one or two of them, or maybe all three of them, would talk about how there will be a separation. And how there will be people of God and people who aren't of God. And and there is a separation there. And when we are talking about the kingdom of God, that is a very real thing. And we learn that through the life of Christ. I'd like to read a passage out of Isaiah. Um, It's a beautiful passage. If you'd like to turn there, Isaiah chapter 11, we're going to read a few verses out of that. Um, Verses 1 through 6. Says this A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of power, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. Or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat the calf and the lion and the, and the yearling together, and the little child, the little child will lead them. That gives us a picture of the coming Christ. Um, not only that there is going to be this separation, um, it, that, that passage in Isaiah paints a very clear picture of how powerful the coming Christ will be and the judgment that will ensue as a result of that Um, But but that last verse, verse 6, it also says that people who weren't supposed to be together are going to come together. And that really sums up the gathering mentality of the coming Christ, is that the lion is going to be with the lamb, which was unheard of, never seen. These different elements of life, these different types of people, these different groups are going to be united. That's why he is coming to bring everyone in and bring everyone closer to the Father. So in this section, we are seeing both the revelation of the King and the kingdom that Christ is coming to build. And and sometimes that's a tough pill to swallow, but I want to encourage you as people of the kingdom, amen, that as citizens of the kingdom, we must have a strong understanding of the nature of the kingdom in which we are living. In this world, you will have trouble, right? And, and we all know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but something that's good to be reminded of is that we are living in a kingdom that is not all-encompassing. It's not maybe the utopia scene that is portrayed in some books or films or short stories. There is someone who is coming to gather, and he wants to gather as many people as he can. But we learn and we read all the time that it's not going to be that way. So, sorry. (laughs) But we learn that. We learn that in just a few short verses. So many implications. So many things. And and there's a third point that I'd like to share with you that helps us understand this story. And this is where it gets really good, because Jesus shows up. And it's beautiful. Um, and the third point is this. Christ's chosen public entry reveals his humility. Christ's chosen public entry, underline that word, chosen entry, reveals his humility. Um, the first half of verse 21, we're still in Luke chapter 3, is what it says. When all of the people were being baptized... Jesus was baptized too and that's it. And you know what? That's the coolest verse I've read in a long time. When all of the people were getting baptized, Jesus got baptized too. Now we're gonna, we're gonna drop some more context here. Um, and, and some of the context is that you know if you're thinking about the coming Messiah, you're thinking about the coming King, right? We are in a we live in a world of Macy's Day parades. We live in a world of inaugurations, we live in a world of people, being lifted up on chairs and paraded through the streets. Now, I'm saying world. You might not see that happen in Joliet, Illinois, ever. Um, But this kind of stuff happens. People physically are exalted on television, on the Internet, maybe in our contexts. But no, Jesus was not set apart in this way. He was with all of the people. So let's move a couple of verses um, previous into Luke chapter 3. We're going to go through verses 7 through 14. And this is where we get the context. This is where we learn who all of the people actually are. Luke 3, starting at verse 7. John said to the coming crowds to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. That's heavy. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children from Abraham. Amen? Amen. The axe is ready at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked. There's so much innocence in that question. Well, what should we do? (laughs) Verse 11, John answered. The man with two tunics should share with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said, Teacher, what should we do? Don't collect any more that you are required to. And I feel like when John the Baptist is giving these answers, it's kind of like a no-duh thing for him. Like, hey, if you have two things and someone has none, share it. And hey, if you're a tax collector, just stop stealing from people. But this is all news to them. Verse 14, Then some soldiers asked him, And what should we do? He replied, Don't extort money, and don't accuse people falsely, but be content with what you are paid. These are the people who Jesus is being baptized with. There was not one Sunday morning service that was set aside for one person. There was not an announcement. There was not a parade where Jesus is led to a lake for him to get baptized. This is the scene that I want to paint for you. And keep in mind that no one recognizes Jesus as Jesus. Keep that in mind. Context. Imagine a line here tax collector, maybe another one, a soldier maybe another one, the rich, the people who don't really share, the people who are showing up to get baptized because they know that something's coming. And then there's Jesus in line to get baptized. Our King, our Messiah, our Savior is in a line of people to get baptized, and he's in between two tax collectors, and he's next up. And we're going to read more about that in just a minute. But I want to paint that picture for you. There were so many different ways that he could have entered into his ministry. There are so many different ways that he could have done it. There are so many ways that he could have done it, and then instantly, at that moment, people would have recognized him. He could have gone on Jimmy Fallon and said, Hey, I'm this new guy. And then the whole world would know about him in two days. But he didn't do that. He was in line. No one knows he is who he is, literally except him in that moment. If you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to read a few verses here. There's an interaction between John the Baptist and Christ that is just so perfect. Um, Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 13. This is when John recognizes Jesus. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And as I was preparing the sermon, is anyone, ever, anyone else ever bugged by the fact that we don't know anything that happened from birth until age 30 with Jesus? Is anyone else bugged by that? I am. But this is kind of a truth that was revealed to me. And we're continuing to talk about humility. And I just think, at what point did he have to get to to know that he was ready to begin his ministry? You know, I, I, I would have loved to witness the conversation that took place between the father and the son. To be able to say, hey, I think you're ready. I think you're ready now. And he didn't do anything except know that he needed to get baptized first with all of the people. And we, we read about it here. Verse 14, it says, but John... Tried to, to deter him, saying, "I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. This is this is the best." Verse fifteen. Jesus replied, "Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness." Then John consented. It is proper for us. That is another inclusive word, us. Jesus is with all of the people, and it is proper for us, meaning all of us, to do this, to fulfill righteousness. And when you talk about the Son of God needing his righteousness to be fulfilled, it doesn't even make any sense. He's the Son of God. He is God on earth. It doesn't get more righteous than that. But in order for that righteousness, as we hear from the mouth of Christ, to be fulfilled, we all must do this thing, this 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 thing. And it's so cool. And, and the humility continues to pour out, and the humility is unescapable. So we're moving on in the story. Jesus is now baptized. We can assume that. And now two people know who Jesus is. In, in, in the moment of, you know forgive me, dunking, in in, in the moment of the down and the up, Jesus and John the Baptist know who Jesus is. Jesus is recognized as Messiah by one man, the person who is preparing the way. It would only make sense for him to see him first. It would only make sense. And now a very familiar passage and story to us all is given. A very famous quote. A very famous phrase that is said by our God. And we find that in verse 22. And the Holy Spirit descended on on him boldly, like the form of a dove. And a voice came from heaven, probably similar to David's who read the uh, scripture earlier You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. That phrase is referenced in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in the book of John, that scene, that scene is referenced as well. So there was no mistaking that this event, this calling down from the heaven, actually took place. There was no mistaking it. There was no denying it. And I would like to present, maybe, an overlooked element to this passage. Is that Jesus has still not said yet that he is the Messiah. Christ is publicly revealed not by his mouth. He is not introduced by John's mouth, but he is introduced by the mouth of God. And, and maybe this is why he did that and, and, and this is what I was thinking about the other day. Maybe this is why he did that, is because there was false prophet after false prophet after false prophet who said, "I am the Messiah." But what were they? False. These people came and they went, claiming that they were the Messiah, and they claimed it by their own mouths. And so, in essence, it is as if God is saying this. Hey, everyone, I know my son is too humble to let you all know, so I will. This is God. This man is my son. I have sent him to you, and I am pleased with him. God knows that his son is not going to make a big deal out of this. So what does the sea-parting, earth-separating, plague-sending, earth-creating God do? He calls down from heaven. Something that never happened when any other person who said they were the Messiah happened. That never happened with anyone else. Jesus gets baptized. His righteousness is fulfilled. And the all-powerful God tells everyone who his son is. Now, everyone, meaning who was there at the time. But when we're talking about the revealing of Christ, it begins not with Christ. Isn't that beautiful? You know, we're talking about humility this morning. We're talking about the humility of not only John the Baptist, but the humility of the Son. And it was not anyone else besides God Almighty who told the world who Jesus was. The humility is, 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 it is, it is inescapable. And it is so amazing. Um, and, and up until this point of the story, we learn the nature of the Son, we learn the nature of the kingdom, And we also learn maybe the first character trait of Christ is that he is a humble God. So that's where we are. Um, Are there any history teachers here, former history teachers here? No? Okay. Um, I I have this little phrase here written here. Um, Oftentimes I I think to myself, um, the thing that turns a history lesson into a sermon is, is points of application. Amen? Yeah. We can, we can have all the knowledge we could ever need, but if we don't do anything with it, then it's just a history lesson. But I know you didn't come here for a history lesson. You didn't wake up when it was five degrees and say, I'd like to hear a history lesson today. That's why you came here. So I would like to present um, three points of application, and we really get these from the three points of how we were kind of dissecting the story. And this is the first one. If an act of humility does not point to Christ, then it is not a true act of humility. John the Baptist's humility was fully realized because his explanation that he was not the Christ was never without recognition of who the Christ was and who the Christ would be. Our acts of humility must never be without a recognition of the nature, power, and and majesty of Christ. Amen? There's nothing that I have ever done, I, Seth, have ever done good that was without the help of God, the one who created me, and the spirit that lives within me. I can try and be as humble as I can, and maybe you'll find the irony in this. I can stand up on a pulpit and say, I am the most humble person there is. Anything good that I have done, and may this be true for you, anything good that we have done has come because of the Father. And so an act of humility that does not point to Christ is not a true act of humility. And brothers and sisters, this is a perfect opportunity to be able to talk about Jesus to someone else. You could be in in a grocery store one day and someone compliments something that you did not your shirt, we're not supposed to worry about what we wear, but, but we're supposed to worry about how we behave in public. And maybe someone compliments you, or maybe you're talking and you're sharing a story with someone, and um, something that you were able to do in your past is like, wow, that is awesome, that's so cool, you're so cool, you're so cool. And you're going to be able to say, what? It's not because of me, let me tell you. Let me tell you about the reason that I'm like this. Let me tell you about the reason that I was able to do this. It's because of my Father. It's a perfect opportunity to be able to share your faith. Is that because we're all humble? We're all humble people, right? I know we are. You don't have to answer that. We're all very humble people. We are holy people. But in that humility, if we are not constantly pointing to Christ, just like John the Baptist, then we're not actually being humble because we're still leaving room for ourselves to be the reason that we are able to do something good. We're still leaving room there. But we can't do that. We need to take after John the Baptist and always point to Christ. 1 Peter 5, 6 says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And the last half of that verse is amazing. At a proper time, God's going to exalt me Well, hot dog. I can't wait till that happens. But what do we need to do first? (laughs) Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And and this is the second point of application. Do not allow yourself to live with an unclear understanding of who God is and why Christ came. And and I'm going to camp out here for a few minutes if you don't mind. A full understanding of of the true meaning of the Christmas season and the revealing of Christ is tied together with the reality that Christ did not only come for those who would accept and obey him. I'm going to repeat that. I'm sorry. I used a lot of commas. A full understanding of the true meaning of the Christmas season, which we are in, and the revealing of Christ is tied together with with the reality that Christ did not only come for those who would accept and obey Him. There is a kingdom that is being established, and what we learned just a few minutes ago is that there will be separation. Now, I'm so thankful that you're all on this side, let me tell you. But it is our job to make sure that more people are on this side of the fence. Amen? God sent Christ to establish a kingdom for His people which means that there will also be people who aren't his. This instills instills fear in us, and it should. But this should also motivate us to share the love of Christ with each other and in our world. Bear with me here. For heaven's sake. For the sake of the kingdom. Christ will not become fully revealed in your life if you do not allow yourself to understand as undeniable truth why he came and what he came for. And, and this is why I'm going I'm to stay here for a few more minutes, is because the truth is the only truth that has stood the test of time. And, and this is what I mean by that. We live in a truthless world. Things are debated and argued and proven wrong daily. Sometimes it takes minutes for a fact checker at a news station to disprove something that just popped up. News is being transferred and transmitted right now. But this is what I want to say to you this morning. Don't let go of this truth. If we really believe that the lessons and the things that are being revealed to us in this book is the hope of the world, then we need to preserve this as the people of God. And let me say this if we believe that this is the hope of the world, then there is no need to alter it. There is no need to simplify this. There is no need to maybe phrase something differently in order to connect with someone better. Truth is truth. I was, oh, you, you may have seen a video or heard, there was a Republican, uh, well, it wasn't even a debate. It was just Donald Trump in an auditorium. I'm not, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm not going there today. Um, but you, you may have heard uh, that pretty much every time that Donald Trump speaks, people protest. Like in, in the arena that he is speaking in, people get up and cheer and chant and do all these things, and then they're escorted out. Everyone boos them because we're all Trump fans um, in that place. (laughs) This is what happened the other day. You may have heard of this. A, A Syrian woman in a headdress stood up in the auditorium, just stood there. Didn't move, didn't say a word in protest, and probably the most peaceful protest that we've seen in this nation in a long time. She just stood there. Now the implications between Donald Trump and Syria are just massive, but but she didn't need to say anything in that moment, and she was escorted out, and she was booed, and I bet if there were rocks around, people would have thrown them. If she were to have done that last year, two years ago, she would have been exalted. People have been standing up for themselves forever and ever and ever. And there are certain periods of time where that gets shamed, and there are other periods of time where that gets praised. And so this is what I want to encourage you with, is that you have the hope of the world at your disposal. And that if you think that this is really what's going to change this world, I do, I hope you do too, then you don't need to do anything to these words except tell people about them. That's all you have to do. So do not allow yourself to live with an unclear understanding of who God is and why Christ came. As a citizen of the kingdom, that is something that is very important to know. But as someone who is trying to receive people into the kingdom, it is just important to know as well. And and this is the third point of application is that Christ's example of humility must motivate us to practice humility, even more so in our lives. And and it's a simple thought. But we learn and do by example, correct? And, and, And I would hope that the person that we are most trying to be like is who? Jesus. May we all get to the point where we can say, Just like John the Baptist, I am not even worthy to untie my Lord's sandals. And it's okay for us to put ourselves way below our God, trust me. I I know sometimes we get caught up in the fact um, that, uh, well, God is a loving God, and so therefore we we, we shouldn't kind of diminish our value. We, We shouldn't speak down about ourselves. We should be confident, I'm a child of God, I'm chosen. But let me tell you what he wants from us. Is to get to the point where we can say, truthfully, I am not even worthy to untie his shoes. And and as you think about that phrase, and as you read that passage from now on, know that the untying of sandals, this is context, and that's why it's so important. The untying of sandals was given to the lowest-ranking servant in the household. And brothers and sisters, we are not even worthy to fill that role. And we need to be okay with that. I'm okay with it. So we're going to close here in a minute. We're going to pray. We're going we're to take some time. This morning we talked about the first moments of Christ's earthly public ministry. The moment in time where he was revealed as the Messiah by his Father. In the final days of his public ministry, so we're going to fast forward, Jesus is hung on a cross. And in that moment, he took our place as punishment for our sins and the sins of the world. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And in that glorious moment, the stains of our sins are washed white as snow once and for all. Jesus was revealed to us to make known the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven and to make possible for us today the opportunity to receive entry into that kingdom. I don't know what really stuck with you this morning. I don't know what you heard. But I really, really believe that it was what you needed to hear. I'm not going to try and tell you what that could be or could not be. I'm going to trust two things. That the Holy Spirit is moving. And I'm going to trust in each and every one of you that you will respond to his leading. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, your word tells us that it's in our stillness that we truly know you. You tell us to be still and know that you are God. So Lord, in these moments, in this time together, Lord, calm our hearts and our minds. Allow us to be still. Lord, I am personally blown away by the humility of your son. I am absolutely blown away by his entry into this world, not only as a baby, but as one who would go into a mission of gathering people closer to you. So, Lord, as servant of the king and servants of the kingdom. We want to say thank you for sending your son to us and making available the opportunity to live and thrive in your kingdom. Lord, you've forgiven us of so many things. Things that we both know. And we're just so thankful that you have forgiven us. So, Lord, as we go from this place today, Lord, would this story, would just the few sentences that we read today change the rest of our lives? Would we show humility, in maybe a way that we never have before, would our acts of humility be drenched in the acknowledgement of you? Would we not go for a minute without pointing to you, just like John the Baptist. Would we get uncomfortable if a conversation that we are having with someone is not about you, or if you are not brought up, or if you are not even mentioned, would we get uncomfortable by that? Lord, get us to that place. Lord, we thank you that you revealed yourself through your Son to us Lord thank you for teaching us that he came to gather and to separate and that he came to give us the Holy Spirit and that all the while he came in a very very humble way Lord you've taught us so much today and you've done so much for us and Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would go with us, continue to dwell in us, and that we would be changed by the story of your Son. Lord, we love you, and in one accord, we acknowledge your goodness and your faithfulness in our lives. And we do that by saying together,
1: Well, would you give Seth and his wonderful wife, Ty, a hand this morning? Thank you for sharing God's word with us this morning, Seth. Uh, as you exit today, would you just take time to, to love on Seth and Ty and let them know how much you care? Take time to stop by, sign up. We as a church are partnering with their church uh, to support them, to love them, and pray for them. Uh, that is, that's why he's here, that's, and that's what we're called to do as, as a body and a church is to support them, and so uh, make sure you meet them uh, in the back. Make sure you sign up, become a prayer partner, give to them, and and one of the things that we're going to do is, is show them love by giving. You are a generous church. Uh, my wife and I have experienced that, and we're so thankful. And we would like to also share that with Seth and Ty this morning. So we're going to take a, an offering for them this morning, and. Uh, Just be generous and and give. We want to support them in every way. And we're so thankful that God is using them uh, to carry out his mission. So thank you all so much. Go ahead, come forward. I pray for this. Lord, we give thanks for this message today. We thank you for our time that we've come together and worshiped you. We pray that uh, as we leave here, this is evident in our lives. We're thankful, we're thankful for your humility, your love, and your grace. May we uh, live that. May we live the core of who you are to those around us. Uh, will you bless this offering? May it, may it nourish and enhance and, uh, and, and help Seth and Ty as they continue your mission. We love you, and we pray. stand and join me in our closing prayer Almighty God whose Son our Savior Jesus Christ is the light of the world grant that your people illumined by your word may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory that he may be known worshipped and obeyed to the ends of the earth through Jesus Christ our Lord who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God, now and forever. Amen. You are dismissed.